Good morning, Northern Hills. I want to say hey to everybody in the room. I want to say hey to everybody online, our pajama prayers. It's good to have you guys with us. So love having everybody here and online. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Brian. I'm, I'm officially a month in here as the new lead pastor of Northern Hills. Yes, I'm going to keep saying it for as long as I possibly can. Um, thank you. Thank you for the golf clap. I appreciate it. Um, let me just say this, guys. After a month, it's funny. I've now been here long enough where I get to put some names to faces and meet some people. And um, I just want to say I just feel so much confidence, peace, and confirmation that this is exactly where uh, God has Nicole and I. I just, I love this church. I love these people. And here's the thing, guys. You're not here for some production or performance. This is family. Family's gathering this morning. You guys are my brothers, my sisters. I've been loving meeting some people. And if you're just coming in for the first time or still checking the church out, just know you are with some good people. Definitely not some perfect people, all right? I've met some of you guys. We're not, we're not perfect, but all right, there's some real good people in this church. So, man, I'm just, I'm loving it. But, um, Let's get into You guys ready to get after it? You want to do some work today? So if you want to come, you can follow along the Bible. You can follow the screens. I'm going to be in Matthew 6 if you want to get ahead of me. But um, here's something interesting. I've been in church work long enough where I've seen some, like, real shifts, like, happen. And there have been really taboo um, subjects in the church that a lot of churches have been hesitant to talk about that have really, it's really changed the last couple of years. So like, for example, a topic like mental health used to be a really, really hard topic for people to dig into. And now I've loved that. We we're like, no, we need to press into this. this is a really important topic. This is something a lot of people struggle with or even just stuff around race. I mean, even the tensions around race have really gotten a little bit more intense even in the last couple of years and just leaning into that and trying to understand and trying to even see what God has to say about it. Or just think of like a topic like sex. Sometimes an awkward topic, but sometimes it is the one topic that will get your husband back in church. You're like, hubby, don't worry, they're covering an interesting topic for you today. Just whatever. People are just more open to certain things. But it's interesting, if there's one topic I feel like is still off limits, that still creates some controversy, that is just a little taboo in the church, it is money. Now, whose defenses just went up a little bit? Just be honest. Who, who just felt that? Uh, some of you guys, you just thought, oh, God, we just came on the money Sunday. Please, no, God. And, if, and I, I, totally, I totally understand because there's just a certain defensiveness that comes up when we talk about this topic. Because even when a pastor starts talking about these things for a couple weeks, you start wondering, is, is he fundraising for like a new car or sneakers? Or like, is there something going on that we don't know about? But I actually, I took some time to really think about it this week. I'm like, well, why is this such a hard thing for us sometimes? Well, really, this particular year of your lives. And I really think... For some of us, you have seen religion used for very greedy, selfish purposes. Really, and it really makes you suspect when this topic comes up in any religious context. Or some of you guys, you actually have a real personal experience of a church abusing this and really doing some wrong, shady stuff with money. And it really makes it hard to trust. But honestly, here's what I ultimately feel like a lot of us feel when we talk about this. At the end of the day, we just don't feel like our money is anybody else's business. It's like no, people shouldn't be poking around in what's going on in our lives. And even the church, it feels like they're kind of meddling in areas that they shouldn't meddle in. That's just kind of what we feel like. And let me just add a little disclaimer. If it is your first time you're new to the church, just, just hear me with this. I, I'm still a new guy. And actually, Pastor Brandon did the whole preaching schedule and the topics before I came on staff. So you can go to him about um, what came up today. <laughs> but ju just understand this, though. This is not a hobby horse for this church. It really isn't. And anybody who's been here for a length of time can can attest to that. And we're actually probably long overdue just for like really leaning into some of this stuff. But I want you guys to hear from me. I will never apologize about preaching about topics like these because hear my heart. I really, really want to help you. And this is one area where I feel like people resist the help that they desperately need. And yet this is the same area where when I see people start to open their hearts up to God and lean in, 
they start to see a level of power, provision, peace, and security that they honestly didn't even know it was possible. So here's the thing. We don't even pass a plate in this church, don't worry. I'm not setting anything up, all right? There's no big fundraising thing coming up. Here's what I just want to do. I just want to talk. Let's see what God has to say and just open up your heart, really. And you can take any of this stuff at face value, and I think we're going to have some fun. And I, and I preach a little amens. I like some talk back. Preach it, brother. Go get them, you know, okay? So you can send some encouragement my way. I always appreciate a little talk back, even online. Throw some stuff in the chat. I feel it, all right? It's coming through, all right? So let's get after it. Matthew 6. Jesus is starting to blow up on the scene living on the earth, teaching, healing, it's crazy. And he drops what has become one of kind of his most famous lines. Even if you're new to Church of the Bible, you probably have heard this in some context, maybe even before. In Matthew 6, 24, this is Jesus talking. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he ends with this. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, here's what I find so fascinating about this line. In no other place in the Bible can you find such a contrast that Jesus gives, such a dichotomy. He doesn't say, oh, you can't serve God and like the devil, maybe you'd expect that, or God and sex or whatever. No, he says the greatest competitor to anybody's real connection to God and the real devotion is actually in this particular area of money. Now, here's the thing. We are going to get deep today. Do I got any theology Bible nerds in the place today? You are going to love some of this, all right? Some of you guys are like, man, I love meaty sermons. We're going to eat an entire cow today, all right? So you vegetarians, I'm sorry. We're going to get meaty today. So you're going to enjoy this. This will be a good one to take some notes. Now, here, let, let's get some nuance here. This is actually really fascinating. The word Jesus uses here actually is not money. This is really important. This is where I think sometimes the translations can be missed. The word Jesus actually uses here is mammon. Now, here's why this is so critical. This is some fascinating history. Mammon sometimes is translated riches, wealth, money, but actually the word is borrowed from an Assyrian god of that day, which was borrowed from a Babylonian god. Now some of you guys are like, okay, why does that even matter? Trust me, this is going to be interesting. Anytime you see Babylon show up in the Bible, your brain needs to immediately go back to Genesis 11. All right, it needs to go, you just be thinking, okay, Genesis 11. If you don't know that story, there's a story there that talks about humanity coming together and building this massive tower to heaven. And sometimes you read it, you're like, well, what's actually going on there? Here's, this moment in human history is a shared expression of pride and arrogance. This is what's happening in this moment. It is this monument to self-sufficiency that people are building. And basically, in this moment, people are basically saying, we don't need God. We can provide for ourselves even the point to obtaining heaven itself. This is what you have to hear from me. When we're talking about mammon, we're not talking about money. We're talking about a spiritual dynamic a spiritual reality that we all experience and struggle with on some level. And this is what that dynamic is. This is really what mammon promises. It is this promise that we're all tempted towards to see money as our source of security, of provision, happiness, identity, pleasure, providing everything we need. The promise of mammon is you don't need to be dependent or vulnerable in any way. Every single one of your needs can be met. So when Jesus says you can't serve God in money, he's not saying, oh, don't try to get rich or don't do all of this stuff. He's saying, if you devote yourself to the false promises that money makes, there is no way you can have a healthy connection to God at the same time. Those things are completely opposed to each other because ultimately you are believing a lie that you can achieve a place in life where you don't need God. That's what mammon is. 
C.S. Lewis, he always has a good line about stuff, about anything, but this is what he says. One of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realize your need for God, the live mammon. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks, now everybody under 30, checks were these little pieces of paper that you used to sign to pay for things, all right? So just replace that with a swipe of credit card or use Apple Pay or whatever and we'll track along, all right? Generational things. You may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent on God. Now, sometimes we read that quote and it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, let's take some cheap shots at the rich people. All those billionaires and those people that live in that nicer neighborhood, they're all the ones creating all the problems. You have to hear me today. God actually is not anti-wealth. There are a lot of people in the Bible who are fabulously wealthy that God uses in great ways and he actually approves of. God's not anti-wealth. God is anti-mammon. That's what God is against. And even if you're somebody in this room or online and you're like, well, Brian, I don't really have that many resources, every single one of us feels this pull to think, man, if I just had a little bit more, maybe I'd be a little bit more secure. I could actually live the life I wanted. I could actually have some of the provision I was looking for. And again, that's the risk of serving mammon. You think, I can maybe just sustain myself and I won't have to be in this place of faith and trust in God. Now, I just know, some of us here, if, if even at this point in the message, you're like, okay, Brian, yes, I'll be the first to admit it. Sometimes I probably stress about money more than I should. You know, we all probably be willing to say that. Some of you guys will say, yes, I probably splurge more than I should, charge stuff to the card. And then we kind of add little thoughts of like, well, you should see my neighbor. They're the most materialistic people I've ever seen in my life or my in-laws or these other people and people have struggles. We can all kind of have stuff go in our mind when it comes to this, but we need to take a minute here. Hear me on this. This is not just some little struggle that we all have. This is not just a symptom of living in suburban America. What Jesus is getting at is that this is a massive spiritual battle that destroys people. You have to feel the weight of this. This is a massive battle going on in all of our lives. Let, let, we just got to unpack this, how heavy this is. Jesus, at another point when he's teaching, was kind of using this illustration of seed getting planted in our heart, like a seed of faith, God's word, and starting to grow in our lives, like our spiritual life. And he uses this illustration to talk about the challenges of mammon. Look in Mark 4, 19. He says, you have a seed of faith planted in your life, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, remember that, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. Again, God's work in our lives, making it unfruitful. So even Jesus is pointing out here, there is a deception and a lie that we all fall into when it comes to wealth. And again, everything that it promises that we think it's going to. And yet, here's what Jesus says. You bite on that lure and it gets its hook in your mouth and it can actually start to choke the spiritual vitality out of your life. So much so that you can get so spiritually suffocated that you actually can't have any real meaningful impact for the kingdom of God. That's how heavy this is for Jesus. Fast forward a couple years after Jesus, Paul was a writer in the New Testament. He's writing to a young associate of his, and this is what he says to Timothy um, in 1 Timothy 6. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women, ladies, you're not off the hook, into ruin and destruction. Now, here's a line people are sometimes familiar with. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, so many people get this scripture wrong. That's why I add it. You know, a lot of people say, well, money, it's the root of all evil. 
And then I want to say, you don't know your Bible <laughs> because that's not what it says. I want to make sure we get a clarification here. He says, the love of money. All right? Mammon. It's, the, it's a root, not the root. It's a root. Look at many evils in our society. You start getting under the soil and you see, huh, at the end of the day, there's a lot of greed there. There's a lot of desire for money. It fuels a lot of the evil activity in our world. I don't think anybody would deny that. And yet Paul goes as far as to say, this is so dangerous, it can actually dismantle your entire relationship with God. He says people fall into destruction over this. This, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for Jesus and even Paul. Some of you guys, I don't know if you recognize this name, Alexander Sojanitsyn. Okay, This guy was a famous Nobel Prize winning author who lived during the Soviet Union with Stalin and was even in the gulags there. I mean, this guy saw some horrific suffering and went through it himself. Once he got out of all that, he actually came to America and he had his first experience of American culture. This was his assessment when he came here. Something which is incomprehensible to my mind is the American Christian's fantastic greed for profit and gain, which goes far beyond all reason, all limitations, and good conscience. Yet that greed and the desire for more has pushed American Christians to do so much without God that one can hardly imagine had I not seen it with my own eyes. How much more could they do if God controlled their money rather than profit. He saw mammon, even in the church. Guys, mammon is central to how our American culture sometimes functions. It's just a key part of even how we work. And yet, Jesus, Paul, and even his officers are saying, it can start to get its hands around your neck and choke the life out of you. So we really, we really have to ask ourselves this question. You know, what's, what's the solution to this? What, what's really going on selling your heart? I mean, honestly, we've got to ask ourselves some honest questions. Like, do you, do, you, do you find yourself sometimes just stressing about money way more than you should? Right? All of us do on some level. Do you ever find yourself kind of measuring people based on their possessions or their income? Kind of notice some of that? Some of you guys, are you overworking, running yourself ragged to increase the numbers in your bank account? Or some of you guys, are you such a tight penny pincher that it's almost ridiculous. You're like, I'm frugal. No, you're stingy. <laughs> but even all of us, I think we got to ask, you know, do we sometimes make excuses for a lack of generosity for just a variety of reasons? And it is this mammon that starts to choke us. It's not a quirk of our culture, guys. This is a massively serious spiritual battle that cuts circulation to our soul. So here's what we got to ask. How do you cure the cancer? How do you actually get free from the chains of this thing? How do you get the lure out of your mouth? So, like, let's flip this thing on the positive side. Let's talk about how we can get free of this, because all of us are pulled down on this in some way. Rewind a couple hundred years before Jesus. Israel, the nation at that time, is rebuilding itself. They're coming out of exile. They're in tough times. They're trying to rebuild cities. They're trying to rebuild an entire nation and a people. This is hard times. They're really struggling. And so God sends a prophet to him, this prophet Malachi. And he's speaking on God's behalf here. All right, so this is God speaking through Malachi. Malachi 3.8. Here's what he says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. This is God talking. But you ask, how are we robbing you? God responds, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
Now, I'll be the first to admit, man, these are some hard words from God, right? I like fluffy Bible verses too. This is not one of those, okay? But it's here. Let's wrestle through it. Let's wrestle through what God's talking about here. This is what I find fascinating. How could God possibly say he's being robbed? Doesn't he own the entire universe? Like, God can take what he wants, all right? You can't really hide anything from him. If I take 50 bucks out of my bank account today, nobody's arresting me. It's my money. And you've got to understand, God is trying to flip their understanding of how resources work. He's trying to help us understand, out of my own generosity, in my good stewardship, God is saying, I'm entrusting resources to you. I'm letting you enjoy and manage them and use them in this world. And yet God is saying, there's one thing that you're grasping to that I'm claiming is mine. And he says, it is this area of tithes and offerings. Now, I just want to assume we're going to start from baseline. Just assume we're starting from zero here. You hear that, you hear that word tithe, it actually just means tenth. And it's this word used throughout the entire Bible to talk about giving God the first 10% of what comes into our lives and trust him with the provision and sustainability in our lives. And it's interesting because the Bible never says to give God the tithe. It always says to bring it to him because God says, it's already mine. You can't give it to me. So if you don't give it to me, you're robbing me. And yet you think, man, this is like heavy. You're under a curse? I mean, is God that legalistic? Is he that hard that he would just withhold blessing because of this? You gotta see what God is saying. He's saying, your tight grip that you have on your life, you are allowing mammon to start to choke you. You think it's all up to you to meet your needs. You think you need every last penny to pay those bills. And he said, it is preventing me from being able to overflow my blessing because I can't bless that behavior. You're not trusting me. You're not opening up your life to me. I can't pour blessing into that. It's a curse. There's spiritual power that is not accessed in your life because you are not opening your life up to me. That's what God's trying to say. Now we gotta take a minute. Bible nerds, you are about to have a lot of fun. Put your glasses on right now, okay? You're gonna enjoy this moment. We gotta take a little sidebar. We really gotta ask an honest question today because there's a lot of debate about this even in the church. Some of you guys have been in church while well, this is something you might be familiar with. We gotta ask the question, is tithing actually for today? Or is this just some Old Testament cringy law that we've moved on from, the legalism of the church and everything? We, we gotta ask that honest question. So again, this is about to get meaty, but this should be interesting to us, all right? We're pulling this right from the Bible. Let's, let's, just, let's just dig in here. If you go way back in the Old Testament, way back, early, early history here, you have this guy, Abraham. Some of you guys are familiar with that name. There's a weird moment in Abraham's life where he encounters this guy named Melchizedek. If you knew the Bible, you read it. It's just this weird, confusing part where he encounters this guy and then he disappears. This Melchizedek guy is a strange figure. And at, in Genesis 14.20, this is what it says. Then Abram, this is Abraham, gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. He tithes to this guy. It's really strange. Now, you fast forward all the way to the New Testament to Hebrews, this Jewish writer who really understood the history, the scholarship here. In Hebrews 6.20, he says this, talking about Jesus. He, Jesus, became a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, here's what I know just happened for everybody. <laughs> You're like, this is why I don't go to church. This stuff doesn't feel relevant at all to my life. Now, track with me, please. What this writer in Hebrews is saying, thousands of years after Abraham, he's saying, Jesus is represented in this person, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is pointing forward to Jesus at this time. He's a type of Christ, we sometimes say. There's many people in the Old Testament that are pointing forward to God's ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So here's the argument that the Hebrews writer is making. Melchizedek is a representation of Jesus. Some scholars would argue that it was actually Jesus himself showing up. That's a whole other argument and sermon. But why does this matter? In some sense, Abraham is practicing the principle of the tithe to God in that moment. He's honoring God through this moment of giving, again, the, first, the 
Why does that matter? This is 500 years before any Old Testament laws or covenant systems or ceremonies or tithe laws are instituted. 500 years. This is pre-Ten Commandments. This is pre-Moses or any of that stuff. Abraham is practicing a principle before any of that stuff even kicks in. You're like, okay, fine, Brian, I guess. Well, let's fast forward to the New Testament. Let's go all the way to Jesus. Does Jesus have anything to say about this? Does he care about something like this? In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders of the day, some pastor types, and he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You tithe. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, what is Jesus saying here? We have to acknowledge, Jesus is acknowledging there are definitely more important matters when it comes to following God. There is a certain hierarchy of what is really critical and matters. But here's what's interesting. Jesus just had the perfect opportunity to say, all that Old Testament tithe law stuff, that doesn't apply anymore. I'm here now. I'm bringing something new. And yet he does say, hey, justice, mercy, faithfulness, it matters. But at the same point, he says, he says don't neglect any of that stuff either. Don't neglect the tithe. That still matters for your relationship with God. That still plays a role in your faith. So Northern Hills, what am I saying? I'm saying you can see from the Bible that this practice and principle of tithing transcends Old Testament laws and even is affirmed by Jesus himself. This is something God has baked into our human experience. This is not just some discontinued principle or command. It is a still relevant component to our faith today. That's what I'm trying to get at. Now, if that is the case, let's go back to Malachi. God says, you're under a curse. I can't bless this behavior. But look what he says in verse 10 of Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Again, note that he doesn't say give the tithe. He says bring it. Again, because it's his already. You just bring back to God what's his. But I love this. He says that there may be food in my house. God's saying, I want you to bring the resources into, at this time, the temple. This would be the church here. Do you see God's heart behind this? This is God's heart. He's like, I want there to be overflowing nourishment into the world. I want my people to be a place of provision for the needs in, in what's going on around us. You know, guys, I've been here a month. I walk around just the church sometimes during the week, and I just think, oh, my goodness, Lord, how you have positioned this church for impact. The people that are here, the location, what is happening in this community, the needs. Like, I feel like we have such an unbelievable time in history to be right here in this moment. And I'm even just praying. This is radical stuff. I know it's kind of crazy. I'm like, God, I'm praying for a day where just our storehouse is overflowing. I would love to just call up our ministry partners and just be like, what do you guys need? And they're like, well, we need a couple hundred thousand dollars. Great. Who do we write the check to? Good. We got a ton of, we got a ton of food in the storehouse. So I'd be happy to do that. I just think, oh, what's the poverty rate in the city? Let's just cut that in half this weekend. Why don't we just solve that problem right now? I'm just dreaming of a day where we can just be overflowing with nourishment for people and the needs in this community. Thank you. I appreciate that clap. Um, there is, can you guys, if you guys can believe this, only 3% of the Christian church actually ties. I just wondered, could you imagine what we could do if God's church got together and said, let's really bring our resources together and make an impact in this world. Let's show the world that this is where the nourishment is. We can give you what you need. That's what God is saying. He's like, I want food in my house. I want to be able to meet some needs. And this is what God says next. Test me in this. 
says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now, this is so crazy. God is saying, see for yourself. Put me to the test. And actually, that word is this idea around testing metal to see if it's the real thing, putting it in a refine, refinery. He's saying, see if I'm the real thing. See if I actually come through with this principle. This is the only place in the entire Bible where God says to test him. It's the only place. He says, just see for yourself. I had a conversation with a guy somewhat recently. He got this exciting promotion, got this huge raise, all excited. And I was kind of like half joking with him. I was, I was like, oh, man, that tithe check is about to go a lot bigger, isn't it? Huh, huh, huh. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, that's funny. He's like, well, actually, we can finally now afford to tithe. I'm going to be honest with you. In that moment, I was like, he doesn't get it. He actually doesn't understand how this works. It's not a test if you know how it's going to turn out. This is a faith act. This is going to God and saying, God, I'm trusting that you actually are my provider, that you know my needs, that you're going to come through. And please hear me, Northern Hills. You need to hear my heart. I am not negating the importance of good budgeting stewardship. I know the massive financial strain going on, even in this room and online. I'm very aware of it. There are very unique needs, and I know there's nuances. I get that, okay? Don't mishear me. But at the same point in time, you've got to understand, God is saying, test me. You want to see if I'll come through? I will pour out so much blessing that you won't even have room for it. Now, here's where we've got to give care be careful, because this is where things get crazy. You ever watch those late-night preachers or something, and they're like, you give $10 to my ministry, and God's going to give you a yacht and a mansion, and he's going to give you whatever you want and what you need while he's wearing his $10,000 suit, you know, in probably one of his four mansions. <laughs> Here's where, that, that is prosperity preaching. We sometimes call it the prosperity gospel. We do not subscribe to that in Northern Hills, all right? That is not biblical teaching. There is nothing in the Bible that says, hey, you give God 10 and he's going to make you a millionaire, all right? There's no guarantee. This is so important. It says blessing. It doesn't say money. It doesn't say God's going to make you rich. God says, I'm going to pour out so much blessing into your life. Now, there's a key principle in the Bible that is all through scriptures and even is used in financial contexts. If you guys have heard it before, it's this principle of reaping and sowing. If you guys have heard that before, you reap what you sow. All right, and that, the whole, it's an agricultural term. You plant a seed in the ground, you sow it, you're going to reap something out. Now, here's what's so critical about this principle, guys. You don't always reap what you sow. So you might sow a seed, but it's going to come out of bush. It comes out in a different form. But at the same time, there is usually a time lapse between when you reap after you sow. And so this scripture that God is saying, he is leaving the doors wide open to say, hey, I'm not guaranteeing you anything in particular. I am just saying you are definitely going to reap a blessing when you trust me in this area of your life. And it is going to be more than you could have imagined or even deserved. God is like, I know how to exceed expectations. That is what he is saying. Now, I can totally understand, even at this moment, some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds a little bit like impulsion, Brian. This sounds like ulterior motives. This even sounds kind of a little manipulative. You know, even giving God a little bit, even the blessing kind of feels like an exchange with God. You've got to understand the heart behind this. This is a heart matter. This is not an exchange matter. Go back to the New Testament. Paul, again, this writer of the New Testament is writing a letter. He's talking about finances. This is in the context of finances when he's saying this. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you guys have any idea of how how rich Jesus is? He makes Jeff Bezos look like a joke. Elon Musk got nothing on Jesus. Jesus is from a nice, gated community, in case you're wondering. They've got gold streets in his neighborhood. It's a way nicer neighborhood than yours. I can guarantee you that. And this is what is so crazy about what Paul is saying. He's using financial language to describe our spiritual reality. He's saying Jesus left the riches of heaven to come to this earth. Trust me, massive downgrade for him. And if you didn't know, Jesus lived his entire life poor. Jesus was never materially wealthy any time he lived here on earth. And yet, Paul is even pointing to the ultimate fact that Jesus became completely spiritually impoverished on our behalf. Do you understand? Jesus took on your sin. He took on the guilt we have over God. He took the wrath of God, experienced the eternal divine punishment of God on our behalf. Total spiritual bankruptcy. That's what Jesus took on for you. That's what he did on the cross. And what Paul is saying is Jesus paid that ultimate price, completely emptied his spiritual bank account, and made you rich. Here's what you need to know. If you are a Christian today, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are ridiculously rich. I mean, you're, you're crazy wealthy. Yeah, I mean, you know, seriously, you're loaded. You, it's not even funny. It's kind of embarrassing how rich you are. You should be ashamed of yourself, Okay. I mean, you, the, th- the hope you have in Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins, eternity before you, the joy and purpose of this life. I mean, the things God does in your life through Jesus is unimaginable. And I, some of you guys, I don't know if you noticed this, the most expensive house in the history of Colorado sold a couple months ago. I don't know if anybody caught that in the news. It, it may not surprise you. It was, it was in Aspen. How much do you think this house sold for? What would be your guess? $73 million this house sold for. Now, if any of you guys purchased that house, call me after the service. I've got some trips I'd love to plan to Aspen in your house. But um, it was, it's kind of funny because I was joking with some of the staff this week. I was like, man, if that's how nice some houses are here on earth, what do you think the houses in heaven are like? You know, I was kind of like joking with them. We're like, well, God's probably going to blow our categories up completely. But you got to understand, like that house, that is child's play compared to what you have in Jesus. What God has done for you, the wealth you have going into eternity. And so this is why I think some people say, well, see, Brian, that's it. That's grace. That's why I don't believe in this tithing principle. It just feels like this restrictive thing that God wouldn't impose on us anymore. You know, he's given us Jesus. And guess what? I agree with you. I actually agree with you. Jesus, whenever he talks about Old Testament commands and laws, he completely flips the script on him. So you see Jesus say, he's like, hey, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And then he says, just know this, if you have hate in your heart towards anybody, you've got murder in your heart. And then he says, hey, you know, you've heard you shouldn't commit adultery. It's like, just know if you even look upon someone lustfully, you've got adultery in your heart. You've got to hear this. Grace never lowers the standard. It always exceeds and goes beyond it to far excel any legalism or law in our lives out of what we have experienced Jesus. You guys see this? The grace of Jesus motivates us beyond any commands because of the riches we know we have in Christ. So hear me. I agree with you. I don't think the tithe is some legalistic thing. I actually think it's training wheels. 
I think the tithe is a baseline structure God gives us to help us have a framework to understand his provision and power in our lives. Because when Jesus comes into your life, you understand what you have in him. You don't even hesitate to let your life be an overflow of generosity into the needs of the world because you know what you have into eternity. So you're saying, you think 10% does apply? You're right. I think in Christ, we have so much more in us to give and what we can do in this world. So, what do we do with this? How do we wrestle through this? I, I know this is new information. This is a lot to digest for some of us. I know this is a new principle. So I want to get real practical for a couple minutes and just answer just some common questions I have when this topic comes up. So some people just ask, where should I tithe, Brian? Okay, if this is such an important thing, where should I do it? And you know, there's a lot of people that will sometimes take their 10% and they like to, they'll have a little ministry they're passionate about here, a little bit to the church, a little bit to that need. And again, I don't even think that's with bad motives necessarily at all. But if you actually look at the Bible, anytime it talks about bringing a tithe to God, it's always to God's main hub of ministry, where the storehouse is. It's never just divvied up into many different needs and areas. And you guys just need to know, today, God's primary expression of his presence and work in the world is his local church. It's his local church. Now, do not get me wrong. There are so many great ministries and parachurch organizations. I have worked for two parachurch ministries. I have run one myself. I'm very passionate about these specific needs that they meet. But God's local church is where his family gathers. It is how we express God's presence and power into this world. And a lot of times people bypass the local church, which is supposed to be the main outreach and ministry hub into its area, and they undermine the power that God wants to bring through his church. So just what Nicole and I have practiced this has just been our practice we really believe the tithe belongs in our local church home. And that's why you need a local church home. If you're a Christian, you can't just be watching YouTube videos of pastors from around the world. You need a family to be a part of. And then if there are any other ministries we're passionate about, sponsoring kids, you know, special needs across um, just the world and even country, you know, Nicole and I use our offerings for that. Anything above tithe we feel called to. I, th I think that's a good practice. Some people ask, do I give on the gross or the net? Now, all the accountants in here really want the answer to this one. All you, you know, people who like to count the beans really closely. Let me just say this. I always like to ask, well, what's the motivation behind that question? Because I think some of us were like, okay, maybe the net, but gross is going way too far. There's no way God could provide. That's way too much of a stretch. And I actually get that. When I first started tithing, I didn't even know how to understand a paycheck. I'm just being honest with you. I just saw money come into my checking account. So I'm like, okay, that's the money I have. So I just tithed on it. I didn't even know any better. And I did have a pastor challenge me once. He said, you know, do you think God can bless even on the gross too? Do you want to put God even before Uncle Sam and make sure he is really first in your life? It was a real challenge for me. It was a stretch. And Nicole and I stepped into that and have never regretted it and have seen God come through in powerful ways. Some people say this to me sometimes. I tithe with my time in serving at the church. And I would say, thank you so much for your Christian service and sacrifice, but you're not tithing. <laughs> you're not. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says you can exchange time for tithe and kind of make excuses and all that stuff. I'm just saying it's not something you see in the Bible. All right, it always starts with our finances and trusting them there. Some people ask, should I tithe even though I'm in debt? Now, I know this is real. Some of us in here, we still have student loans we're paying off. We have credit card bills, not to mention just the cost of living in Colorado. I mean, it is a massive struggle to live here. So I get it. And every situation is different. This is why I, there is a nuance here, guys. There are follow-up conversations that have to happen, so don't hear me wrong. But I did have a pastor once tell a story. He had somebody come up to him after church, after talking about a topic like this, and this is what the person said. You need to tell people that the best time to start tithing is when they're in debt. And the pastor's like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that. 
And he said, because that's when you need God's help the most. And, and here's the thing. This is something to work out with God. Some of you guys, you may be so desperate. You may be at such a point where you're feeling the pinch that there's really almost no other way for you to break out than to see if God will actually show up and put yourself in that position for him to provide. Just one last little question. Some people ask just, how should I give? How should I give? And I love just the ministry world today and just how all the technology, because you can give online, you can use an app, you can do text to give. We have like kiosks out in the lobby for people to give. There's so many ways, but here's what I think is so critical. Order is important. Anytime you see this principle of tithing and generosity towards God, it always talks about this concept of the first fruits and making sure God is first in your life. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, one word, of all your crops. So it's this principle of God having to be first in your life. He can't be, it doesn't make sense for God to be anywhere else. It doesn't work. And so what I would tell you is however you want to do this, God needs to be priority. So whether you make your budget once a month, make, make that tithe the first thing you do. Don't wait till all the bills are paid and see if there's anything left. If you get maybe paid every two weeks, maybe every time you get paid, you're like, I want to prioritize that. God, I want to prioritize you in my life. Again, there's no legalism here, but God is not supposed to be treated like a leftover in your life. Some people like to do the automated thing because they're just like, yes, I just, God is such a priority, I don't even want to think about it anymore. So whatever it is, just say, make sure God's first. Now, let me stop here, Northern Hills. What is this even all about? What is the point of this? This is what I have to honestly ask you. It's between you and God. Do you trust God? Do you really trust him? Do you really believe he knows all of your needs and can meet them? Do you really believe he can come through? Even in those moments where you're feeling totally desperate? Or are you willing to be brave enough to admit that mammon might have its hands around your neck right now? And it is just choking the life out of you and creating way more stress and anxiety than it should. When the real grace of Jesus comes in your life, I'll just tell you this, guys, it completely, completely flips your understanding of resources on its head. And you start to have this unshakable sense of security and freedom. You have this rock-solid confidence that God is just going to provide for your needs because you know he already met your most important need. He gave you everything you could possibly imagine in Jesus. You don't have to live in fear of the future. You don't have to be driven by some destructive drive to get more so you can have some sense of comfort and security. You are a child of the king of the universe, and you can rest on his supernatural provision in your life. And as we close today, you need to hear me. I am living proof that this is true. I stand before you as a living testimony of the amazing faithfulness and power of God. Some of you guys need to hear my story about this. I didn't know even what the word tithing was, you know, when I was starting to grow my Christian faith, I had no idea. Then I hear this sermon from this pastor saying, hey, try to test God. Just step out and take this faith. So I was like, all right. I was 19 years old. I'm like, I guess I'll do it. Guess what? It wasn't that hard because I was making 100 bucks a week. All right. It ain't hard to give 10 bucks back when you're broke. And so I'm like, all right, I guess I'll start doing this. But I will say I started feeling some initial benefits on it. I was like, oh, okay, I think this is a good thing to do. I remember the first time I got $1,000 on a check. I was like, oh, my goodness. 100 bucks, God? There's no way, there is no way I'm gonna die. And you know, we just kept leaning into that. And Nicole and I have always made it a practice to tithe in our marriage. It's always been a part of our lives. 
And we've honestly, guys, we've had seasons where we've been very negative and it was absolutely, ter absolutely terrifying to keep doing it. Totally terrifying. And actually, my trust in this principle really got tested just in the last couple of years. Uh, right around March 2020, you guys remember the chaos of the world when COVID was really just starting to come out? I mean, things were just upside down. Through COVID and a complicated church situation, which trust me is a topic for another whole other message, I found myself in March of 2020 unemployed. Now here's the thing, if there are credentials you don't want during a global pandemic, trust me, it's a seminary degree, all right? It does not help you to read Greek and Hebrew when the world is falling, okay, <laughs> falling apart. You guys need to hear me. I honestly, I fell into absolute panic. Some of you guys who know the story, we desperately needed the insurance for our daughter. I, the money was literally just gonna dry up. It was come to, come to a screeching halt. And I started spiraling. I was just like, God, there's no way. How are we supposed to pay our bills? How are, how are we gonna stay in our house? Like our lives are literally coming crashing down, God. There's no way this is gonna work. Look what's going on in the world. Nobody's hiring. And I remember one of my last paychecks was coming, came into my account. And I remember having a conversation with God. I said, God, surely there is an exception clause for the situation I'm in right now. Surely, come on, you know how desperately I need this. I'm like, I, you have to understand the situation. And I kind of had this defining moment where I really wrestled and I said, do I believe this stuff or not? Like, do I really believe God is my provider? Do I really believe he's going to come through? I said, I'm so desperate now. I really have no other options. Like, I have to see if this is actually true. And I had a moment. I sat down on my computer. I said, God, I am testing you right now. I'm testing you. You said you will provide. You will make a way. And I actually, I had a list of scriptures that I read every single day. One of them, Genesis 22:14. 14. Abraham said, um, the, he called that place, the Lord will provide. I read that every single day. I said, God, you're a provider. You say you're a provider. You promise it in your word. And I'm sitting at my computer. And I sit there and I give the tithe in fear and trembling. Trust me. And you wouldn't believe it had I not told you. God is my witness. That very day, the exact day, I get connected with a ministry that ends up offering me a job just a couple days later, which was far beyond anything Nicole and I could have ever hoped for as far as the insurance and the compensation and what we needed for our family in the season. It provided blessings that I literally didn't even know we were going to need moving forward that very day. I'm telling you guys, I am living proof that God comes through and provides. He makes a way. He knows how to pour out blessing. Trust me on this. And so I, I understand. I know how hard this is. It is still hard for me every time writing that check it is a faith step it is a test of god but i want freedom for you guys i want you guys to have that security i want you to have that confidence that it's not your job providing for you it's not your hard work it's god god is your provider you need to believe that and this is an act it is a faith expression to say god i'm trusting i'm putting myself in a position for you to provide so here i'm putting this challenge for any of you guys where this has been a struggle for you. Maybe you give a little bit. Maybe this is just an area where like, we just could never afford it. I'm just telling you, for you, if there's anything in you right now, I want to give you this opportunity. I'll put a challenge in front of you. For the next 90 days, we'll put a time limit on it so you have an out. I want to challenge you. Tithe. Try tithing for 90 days. For some of you guys who get paid every two weeks, that is six paychecks. Are you willing to test God for 90 days? 
And every time you do it, I'll tell you, sit in front of your computer, however you give them, say, God, all right, I'm testing you. Show me that you provide. I need to see this. Show me the stuff that you showed Ryan. You did it for him, do it for me. Do it for 90 days. And even while you're doing that, I would encourage some of you, because I can't talk about all the message, please get this book. Order it on Amazon or whatever. It's called The Blessed Life. If you guys can throw that slide up there real quick, I want to make sure you guys see it. It's called The Blessed Life. You need to get that book. It'll fill in so many gaps that I just couldn't cover today, and it will show you just the amazing power of God's provision. So as we close church, just know there is a security and peace that God wants to give you. There is provision and power he wants to reveal in your life. There are miracles he wants to do. Test him and see for yourself. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. What a privilege to gather. Lord, I know we come from so many different spots in this room. Some of us are really struggling. We really are, Lord. And I just really pray that if anything, this sermon would be encouragement to them, that you are a faithful provider. I just pray for that to be rooted in our hearts today, God. You provide. You make a way. And I, I pray right now that you really would challenge some of us to step out and test you so we can see the miraculous work you do on our behalf. And ultimately, Lord, we know that you have given us the greatest gift we could ever hope for in Jesus. You have poured out so much generosity to us. You have given everything on our behalf and we've experienced all the benefits in Jesus. We praise you for that. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.